0: ...sharing the gospel with them just becomes uh, mechanical, something we just do uh, out of necessity. Uh, I hope it becomes part of who we are, the, 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 the fact that we just can't help but talk about him. I, I have a very dear friend of mine, his name is Wayne Corfman, and Brother, Brother Wayne, I think, is going to be 81 or 82, I believe, this year, down in the church that I pastored in Florida... Dear friend of mine, and um, he lost his wife several years ago, Miss Catherine. And uh, I went by to see him. I was still pastoring at the time. I went by to see him in his apartment, uh, ever so often, and just just a sweet fellow. One of those kind of folks that you just love being around. You know what I'm talking about. And I go to I went to be a blessing and a help to him, and I always left encouraged. And he was more of a blessing to me than I ever was to him. And we were sitting there one night talking about how sweet God is. And he made a statement to me. He said, Brother Greg, we are never embarrassed to talk about the ones we love. He said, if anybody ever asks me about my wife, Miss Catherine, he said, I'm thrilled to speak with them about it. He said, I'll talk to people for hours about people I love. He said, that's the way I want to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to love him so much that I just can't help but talk about him. And not trying to make it uh, where we have to go through some kind of process to try to talk to people about the Lord. It just becomes natural. It's just what we do. And, uh, well, I hope we can love him like that. It was said of Charles Spurgeon years ago that when he would go, very rarely, he was a workaholic, very rarely would he ever take time for pleasure or ease. And his friends talked him into going on a picnic one day, and their account was that they did not know when he was talking to God and when he was talking to them. That's how close he was to the, God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought, boy, I wish, I wish it could be said of us in this day that that's how much we love the Lord, that it just we, we just ease in and out of conversation with him just like we would anyone else. I believe that might be what the Bible was talking about when it said to pray without ceasing. To be in a constant attitude, a constant relationship where we can easily enter into conversation with God and to love Him that much. I, I just uh, I hope we get to that place at some point in our Christian lives. I know we'll never be perfected. Paul said, I have not yet attained. And he was probably one of the greatest Christians I knew of in Scripture. Um, We probably won't get there any further than Paul did until we get to heaven. But it ought to be our heart's desire, amen, to love Him more. Well, let's take our Bibles, if you will. Turn to Psalm 119. 119. Uh, We are going to have preaching today, so we're going to use the Bible. If we don't use the Bible, it's just a speech, amen. Psalm 119. And uh, we're going to look towards the end of the chapter. We're going to begin reading in 105, and it's a very familiar verse. A lot of people have it memorized. It actually has uh, uh, a lot of indication in our lives of wisdom and seeking for the, the word of the Lord as a source of direction for us. So we're going to look at some things here from this portion of Scripture, and we're going to read down through verse number 12. The psalmist says thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word, except I beseech thee the freewill offerings of my mouth. O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. Father, we come to you again and ask for the next few moments that you will work in hearts, and do a work that I can't do. I pray that you would lead in such a way that we would leave here today loving you more than we did when we came in, being taught some things from your word that we can use in our lives to help us to be more of what we ought to be for you, that we will leave here with a desire and a longing to live for you, to do your work and to see people saved and to share the gospel Lord, there are so many that need to hear. The harvest is truly great, the laborers are truly few. Father, I pray that you'd help us to have a renewed burden for the lost and a love for them. I pray that you'll draw our hearts to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The psalmist is in this longest chapter, the uh, longest psalm that he wrote, is looking at and emphasizing, if you look at the theme of the, the chapter, is dealing with the idea of God's Word. And he uses a lot of different terms to uh, explain and describe God's Word. He uses, uh, of course, the, the, the word, Word. <laughs> and, uh, but he also uses testimonies. He uses commandments. Uh, he uses um, precepts. Um, his law. And there's, there's a lot of terms in this chapter that are dealing with the things that God had given to His people. And we find as we get to the first part of this little portion of the psalm that He says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I love the fact that God has given us Uh, uh, Not just something that contains his thoughts, but something that we look at and say, this is God's word. Uh, In several of my Bibles over the years, uh, I would go to the beginning of it and write, Dear Greg, right before Genesis 1-1. And then at the end of it, in the very end of Revelation, I would put, Your loving Heavenly Father. And the reason I would do that is I wanted to always remember that this book was written for me. And I hope you feel that way. That God's word was written for you by a God in heaven that wanted you and wanted me to know him. And so he uses this, this portion of scripture and the emphasis. That the Bible says in, uh, in Philippians chapter number 2 that God also hath highly exalted him, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And have given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he ought to be Lord in our lives. Amen? But do you know that the Bible says this? As highly exalted is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. you know the Bible says this? I have exalted my word above my name. God's word the importance of it in our lives. It becomes our sole source, our sole authority of faith and practice, and we hold to it. And so the psalmist says this, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And we are living in a day where there is such a need for revival and a return to to thirsting and, and saturating our lives with the word of God. Because the truth is, we're living in a pretty dark time, aren't we? We're living in a time when the world is calling right wrong and wrong right. We live in a society, in a culture that is quickly trying to take away the the, the ability to believe freely what the Word of God teaches. And there's never been a greater need in my lifetime than what I've seen in the last year or so that we have the light of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ being lifted up and being shown throughout this world. Matthew chapter number 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, ye are the light of the world. It's not our light, it's His. But we're the ones going around and carrying His light to a lost and a dying world. And a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. But setteth it on a candlestick and it giveth light to the whole house. And you and I have been given the great, can I say it this way, the great privilege Some preachers say great responsibility, and it is a responsibility. But can I tell you this? We ought never look at it as a duty that we grudgingly uh, uh, obey and do. It's something that is a great privilege that we have to take the Word of God and to hold it forth to a world that needs to hear it. It's called the Gospel, the good news, the light of the world. And it's a wonder what what the psalmist says. I, I wish... We had time to go through the whole chapter today in one sermon. But you'll have to read through it. But it's amazing to me the the insight that the psalmist has on the Word of God in this chapter. My Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This light of God's Word. He does go through some things here and shows us some things that it helps us with. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 106. He says, I have sworn, and I will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. Can I tell you this? That God's Word is a light and a lamp to us. It illuminates the darkness of our hearts in the area of showing us the standard that judgments ought to be based upon. What is it that gives us our moral compass and our moral center in the Christian life? What is it that tells us what is right and what is wrong? Look with me. I wasn't going to use this, but I think I can find it here. Look with me in the book of Hebrews. Uh, and let's go to uh, chapter number, I believe it's in chapter number four, if I'm right. Chapter number five, excuse me. Hebrews chapter number five. And I want you to look at something here. in verse number, uh, We'll begin verse number 11. Hebrews chapter five and verse number 11. Of whom we have many things to say. And hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. And by the way, I hope we never get dull of hearing. Amen? Uh, Wives, I I mentioned it in Sunday school, wives understand this more than men perhaps, uh, more than husbands do, the dullness of hearing. For when for the time ye ought be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of uh, of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And it's talking here about maturity in the Christian life and whether we're able to understand the meat of God's Word and the strong doctrine that the Bible teaches or whether we're still on the milk of the Word. And then he goes on to say in verse number 14, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of what? Full age. Are we talking here about chronologically? Are we talking about just the fact that we have gray hairs on our head? We're talking here about the full age spiritually, matureness in the Christian life, the growth of the Christian life. But strong meat belongeth to them that are a full age, even those who by reason of what? Reason of what? Use, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both Good and evil. Can I tell you this? That the light of God's Word teaches us where to get the standard for right judgment in the Christian life. You and I have the responsibility as God's children to live a life above reproach. One that does not bring reproach to the name of Christ. We call it our testimony. And in the course of our testimony, I fear too long, we have tried to uh, make it a a decision between what's good and what's bad. But can I tell you this? The decision of a Christian ought never to be between what's good and what's bad. It ought to be between what's good and what's best. Because we ought already know what's bad. There are times we have choices to make in our life. What is the standard that we refer to that helps us to make the right choice to have the best for our life? It's the standard of God's righteous judgments in His Scripture. It sheds a light in the area of helping us to have a right moral compass. What is it that allows us to stand up and tell folks that abortions are wrong and homosexuality is wrong? and uh, all the immorality that this world is degrading into and spiraling down into it, what is it that gives us the right to stand up and say these things are wrong? Is it because we're better than other people? No. It's because we have a standard that does not move and is unshakable called the Word of God that gives us His righteous judgments. We find as he goes on to talk about this light that it gives to us, that not only does it show us the standard of our right judgments, but in 107 he says, I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. The word quicken is an old English word. We don't use it a whole lot anymore, but it means simply to make alive. To make alive. Can I tell you this? That this blessed book, this light that the psalmist speaks of, that's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, can I tell you this? It is the source of our life. And you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. We used to be children of darkness. Now we walk as children of light. We have the light of God's Word that quickens and makes us alive. And by the way, can I tell you this? You can mark it down that a Christian who does not feast on the Word of God has a life that is dead Spiritually. Hold your place here for a moment. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter number 17. Jeremiah chapter number 17, and if you will, we'll begin reading in verse number 5. Jeremiah chapter 17, in verse number 5, he says, Thus saith the Lord. By the way, anytime you find in the Scripture, Thus saith the Lord, we ought to sit up and take notice, amen? And uh, we want to know what God has to say about things. I don't really care a whole lot what preachers have to say. I want to know what God has to say. Amen? Look what it says in verse number 5. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert. The heath was a little scrub bush, kind of like what our tumbleweed is uh, out west. Any of you ever been out west and seen the tumbleweeds? I took my daughter there a couple years ago to visit a college out in California. And uh, going across some of those prairies, these bushes would tumble across in front of your car. Sometimes they'd get hung up underneath your car and you'd drag them for miles. And they would have warning signs. Sometimes they'd get up there under your manifold. It could cause a fire. You had to be careful not to get them hung up under your car. And this this heath, this tumbleweed type of a bush, this 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 plant that would spring up quickly in the desert but did not have nourishment to sustain itself, it says in verse number 6, And he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land and not inhabited. By the way, Psalm 1 kind of talks about that, doesn't it? About the blessed man. He goes on to say, verse number 7, Blessed is the man, not the cursed man now, but the blessed man. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a, what? What? Tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when the heat or when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Can I tell you, we find three priorities that are given here in verse number eight. We find that the tree that is referred to here that the Bible says, the blessed man that trusteth in the Lord and in whose hope the Lord is. Is a tree that first of all has enough nourishment. He's planted by the rivers of water and he has enough nourishment in his soul to keep himself alive. That's what the psalmist is speaking of. That the word of God, this light that he spoke about is something that quickens us and makes us alive. He goes on to say in verse number 8, not only does it uh, allow his the roots to be by the river, but it says it shall not see when the heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, it gives life to the tree, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. If a tree has enough nourishment to stay alive and still has a little bit left over, then it begins to grow and make itself stronger. Why does a tree need to be stronger? So that we can do what John said Herein is my Father glorified in that you bear much fruit. You ever see a little tree try to bear much fruit? It can't can't live. The branches aren't strong enough. The trunk can't endure. For to bear much fruit, we must grow in the Christian life. He says here in verse number 8, Neither shall cease from yielding fruit if it has enough to stay alive and it has enough to grow. The third thing a tree uses its nourishment for is to bear fruit. And can I tell you this? The bearing of fruit is a natural event that happens in a tree that has enough nourishment. It's not something the tree has to labor at. It's not something the tree has to sit there and try to force itself to do. When we talk about winning people to Christ being something natural, it ought to be something that we have so much overflowing in our hearts with God that we cannot help but speak the things that we have seen and heard. So what it said about the shepherds, when they heard about the news of Christ and went and saw the Christ child, they went and spread it abroad. The wise men couldn't help it. They had to tell somebody. Psalm 1 says, Ye shall be as a tree planted by the rivers of water that giveth forth her fruit in her season. Her leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever they do he shall prosper. You know what the first sign of a Christian not getting enough nourishment of God's Word is? their leaf. The leaf is an outward sign. It's what men can see. You see, we don't see the heart of a tree. We don't see the inner workings of it, but we do see the leaf. What's a sign of a plant or a tree not getting enough water? What's it do? Again, it's the wilt, doesn't it? You know what our leaf is? Our countenance. You can almost look at somebody and tell if they're going through a valley or whether they're going through a mountaintop experience. You can look at somebody and tell many times how their walk with God's going, simply by their countenance. Their leaf begins to wither. If you will, look back with me in Psalm 119. Not only is it the standard that we get our judgment from, not only is it the source of our life, but in verse number 110 He says, the wicked have laid a snare for me, but I erred not from thy precepts. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I erred not from thy precepts. The light of God's word will help us to endure the snares and to escape the snares that Satan sets for us. Look with me in Ephesians chapter number 6, if you will. Ephesians chapter number 6. I love the book of Ephesians. And it deals with the fact that we are involved in a spiritual warfare. And let me just say this. I don't know that we give enough emphasis to this in our Christian life or in even teaching about it from the pulpit. But you can mark it down. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, Satan has a target on you. He's going to do all that he can. He knows he can't get your soul, but he's going to do everything he can to distract your life He's going to allow the enticements and the pressures of worldly things and carnal things to come along and try to draw your heart away from the thing that should be preeminent in our lives, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter number 3, He said, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. The idea that our hearts must be solely longing for one thing, and yet Satan tries to bring things into our lives. He does so through some of our acquaintances. He does throw so through some of our circumstances. He does so through some of the folks that we're, we know that their lives are one way and our life is another way. And he uses all of these tactics to try to get us the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he hasn't changed in all these years all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He caused Adam and Eve to see that the tree was good for fruit, the lust of the eyes. It was a tree to be desired, to make one wise. He does the same thing over and over and over again. Look with me in Ephesians chapter number 6, if you will. The Bible says in verse number 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. I want you to notice in this that when Paul's writing in the church at Ephesus, the implication is not whether or not the wiles of the devil are going to be coming after us. That is automatically implied. They are going to come. The trials and the temptations and the workings of Satan in your life and in my life to get us to get away from the things of the Lord are going to come. How do we withstand them? The same way our Lord Jesus Christ did when He was tempted in the wilderness. By the Word of the Lord. This light that the psalmist speaks of here helps us to escape sin. Sin. Somebody said years ago, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And earlier in the chapter, in verse number 11, a verse we love to quote, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin against God. This light that's shed in our hearts by God's Word will help keep us from sin. And I want you to notice also in verse number 111, Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing... Of my heart, God's word, where His testimonies are expressed, is the place that brings joy and rejoicing to our hearts. I don't know about you, but when I get to thinking about the goodness of God, and I think of who He is and who I am, and I begin to reflect on that. I start welling up with joy, and there's times I can't contain it. I've been in the South and I've been to some camp meetings and I've watched people get up and then they start shouting and they start waving a handkerchief and they get excited about the things of the Lord. Can I tell you this? God didn't make me that way. There are some people that that's their expression and that's how God has, has caused them to so much be overwhelmed emotionally by what He is and who He is and as we dwell and think on Him. But I'm going to tell you, God made me different. When my heart gets excited, my eyes begin to leak. And that's just the way I am. There are some people that shout when those things happen. But I'll tell you, when I get excited about the things of God, my heart just is so overwhelmed. I can't contain it anymore. You ever been there? Whether you shout or whether you cry, can I tell you this, that the Word of God is the source of, of our rejoicing. It's the thing that allows us that even in the face of some of the hardest times in the Christian life, we can have great joy. This past week we said goodbye to the human form of Brother Ray Whitener. Man, he touched so many lives, didn't he? And only a Christian can understand that in the weeping and the sorrow there was great joy. Why? Because Brother Ray's home. And we know we get an opportunity to go and be with him one day and see him again in heaven. We get an opportunity to go and be with our Savior. I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the joy that awaits them that love him. Hebrews chapter number 12, I believe it is in verse number 3. He starts off in verse number 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin and the weight which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. In verse number 3, he says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Do you think the cross was pleasant for our Savior? No. But He knew that there was joy to come from it. Can I tell you this? There's not a situation that's overcome in our life that our Savior is not intimately aware of and has been touched, the Bible says, with the feeling of our infirmities. There's not a sorrow that's that's bad enough in your heart or in my heart any time in our lives that our Savior has not firsthand experienced and knows intimately well how we feel. And He can still give joy. say, Brother Greg, how can we get joy from God's Word? It gives us great hope, doesn't it? It gives us something that we can cling to in the times that we seem that there's nothing else that we can do years ago there was a poster of a cat that was dangling from the end of a, a rope I think it was he had his claws sunk in Do y'all remember seeing that poster years ago? and it said when you get to the end of your rope tie a knot and hang on can I tell you this when we get to the end of the rope cling to God's word why? because it's going to bring joy in the valley that's all introduction are you ready for the message? I'm not kidding I want us to see what the Bible does for us, but now I want you to see the message here. Verse number 112. I have inclined my heart. I love that phrase. I have inclined my heart. What was the psalmist saying? He goes on talking about God's Word, and then at the very end he says... And I'm inclining my heart to it. In Acts chapter number 20, we're not going to take time to turn there, but Paul is preaching. And a young man, I believe his name is Eutychus, if I remember correctly, was sitting in a balcony listening to Paul preach. You remember the story? The Bible says that he was long-winded. Amen? I'm glad it says that. Paul, I'm not the only one, Paul was... Long-winded too, so I'm in good company sometimes. Said he was long-winded. This young man, the Bible says, fell into a deep sleep. And he fell outside the building. And he died. We focus on the story how that God used the Apostle Paul to come and raise that young man back to life. But can I tell you this? I read that story, and I can't help but think this. I don't think it's the primary principle, but it's a thought. The young man was leaning the wrong way. When God's doing something and His Word is being spoken, are we sitting on the edge of our seat? Are we saying, I I want God's Word because of all these things that it does for me? And we've, we've not even scratched the surface, can I tell you that? We haven't even touched the hymn what God's Word does for you and I as a Christian. But when the Bible comes into play in our lives, whether it's being preached, or whether it's being read, or whether it's setting time aside during the day to come to it and to say, Lord, show me something from Your Word. Are we inclining ourselves to it? Do do we look at this book and say, "I, I love it with all of my heart? Is it the passion of our lives? Is it what we cling to in times where we need hope and we need comfort and we need grace? Is it what we read and rejoice in during times of victory and the mountaintop experiences? Or does the Bible take second place in our lives? Or third? Or fourth? Or fifth? If the Bible is all that it says it is, then should not you and I incline ourselves... Lean the right way. Sit on the edge of the seat. Perk the ears up. God's word's being read. We talk amongst ourselves. I love fellowship. Don't give me, hey, you can look at me and tell I love fellowship. When we talk together, what do we talk about? I don't think it's wrong to talk about things and events in our lives, but isn't it sweet? When we fellowship and the conversation turns to the things of God, the Scriptures, what are we doing? When that happens, we're inclining ourselves. We're inclining our hearts. Notice what he says here. I've inclined my heart to perform thy statutes all way, even unto the end. There's two things I want you to see about it, and we're done. Number one, to perform it. We don't just read Scripture for the sake of reading Scripture. We read it so God can show us and teach us how to live. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The psalmist said, I've inclined my heart to perform it, And then I want you to notice that he's going to incline his heart to perform it all the way, even unto the end. Somebody once said that life is a bunch of ups and downs. I would agree with that. We have valleys. We have mountaintops. Christ said he's come to give us life and to give it more abundantly, which means in the Christian life sometimes we have higher highs and lower lows, more abundant life. But in that, do we consistently, always, even unto the end, incline our hearts to God's Word? When things are going well, do we turn to God's Word? That, that's the time, usually, that I struggle the most in. I used to, there was a person in my life one time that every once in a while I would do something not wrong but not as right as it should have been. Isn't that right? That's the way we feel about things. We're never wrong. We just aren't always as right as we should be. I heard one guy say it this way one time. The only time he remembered being wrong was the time he thought he was wrong and he was really right. But... um, there's times that we've messed up in our lives, and there's a person in my life that from time to time I would have to go to and apologize and say, I'm sorry. And their comment was, well, the only reason you're apologizing is because you know you're in trouble. Well, yeah, would I apologize when I'm not in trouble? <laughs> I mean, that's, that kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? And I sell that to say this. Why is it sometimes that when things are really not going bad, they're going pretty well? God's given us some victory in our lives. There's been great joy and great leading of the Holy Spirit. That that seems to be the time that we begin to forsake the things of the Lord. By the way, it's not unique with you and I. We have a whole Old Testament that talks about the nation of Israel, and they did the same thing, didn't they? Are we inclining our hearts all way, even unto the end? It's a light unto our path. It's a lamp unto our feet. The psalmist talks about some of the things that it does for us. My question today and the message is this. Are you inclining your heart to it? Does it hold the right place in our hearts? Is it so important to us that we feel like we've, we're at a loss when we go a day without reading something from it? without meditating on its verses and pages? Are we inclining our hearts? Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. Lord, we're living in a day where really there's such a need of revival to give Your Word its rightful place in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, how special it is. How supernatural it is. The source of our joy. Lord, it's the thing that sustains us. It's the thing that teaches us in judgment. It's the thing that allows us to thrive and to live the spiritual life with victory. The thing that keeps us from the snares of Satan. And yet, so often, we seem to neglect it. It begins to gather dust. It seems to be something that's put to the back in the area of our priorities. And yet I pray that today, through the preaching of Your Word and the truth that we've seen from the pages of Scripture, that we will rededicate ourselves to incline our heart to Your Word. That as we study it and we learn it, we're drawn closer to You. Our judgment is sharpened. We're able to discern not just between the good and the bad, but even between the good and the best. That we would have joy in the life that would sustain us during the dark trials of this life. We would be able to overcome the wiles, the snares, the tactics of Satan. Through hiding your word in our hearts, Lord, I pray that you would help us to again have a passion and a love and a desire for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, we'll have a hymn of invitation.